be inspired to love life, to achieve extraordinary feats, and to change the world around you for the better. Welcome to Love Your Life, Tell Your Story by Kathleen Marriott. Melissa Histon is a woman on a mission to give women a voice. Breast cancer and a trip to Nepal led to Mel creating the Sister Code events and a community of wonderful women that have supported and empowered other women since May 2014. In January 2016, Melissa founded charity Got Your Back Sister, which empowers women to thrive after leaving domestic violence. Melissa was named Newcastle Woman of the Year and was a finalist in the Newcastle University Alumni Awards during 2017. In a further bid to lift women and give them a voice, Mel launched Hey Soul Sister podcast, which has had tens of thousands of downloads in September 2019. Whether it's building a house for the homeless in Nepal, interviewing inspiring women from around the globe or creating domestic violence community campaigns, Mel knows that true change can only happen when we all stand together and boost each other. This is Mel Histon's third story. Mel Histon, welcome to Love Your Life, Tell Your Story. I'm so thrilled to have you here. I'm, th- I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you. Thank you for coming back. And obviously, we've already had two stories from you, and they were so fabulous. So <laughs> here today, we're here to talk about your third story. And I believe it's a story that you went and had a trip to Nepal. Can you tell us about that story? I sure can, because it was such a life game changer for me. A bit like the breast cancer story, but in a totally different way. So the funny thing is, after I had finished my treatment for breast cancer and I decided I was going to start my photography business or restart my photography business, I went and did a business workshop with Heidi Pollard, who's now Alexandra Joy, and we did some vision boarding at this workshop. And I remember I put down on the vision board that I wanted to go to a third world country to do a photography project for a non-profit. It's very specific. I did other things as well, like I'm on a nice car and a nice house, but I, but I put down, you know, this, this, I wanted this trip. I felt that I would love to do some good in the world and maybe I could do some with the photography, with my photography business. And it's so funny that two years later, that actually came about. And it's funny, you know, I don't know if you've done vision boarding before, but, you know, it's really an intention setting, not goal setting so much, just intention setting. So I had set that intention, but I hadn't set any steps to make that happen. But one day I saw on Facebook, a girl that I knew, Belinda Bow, had did a post on Facebook saying that she was going to Nepal and she was going with the team and they were going to make a, a documentary about the sex trafficking of Nepali women and children. And so I sent her a message and I was like, I thought, oh, wow, maybe they'll need a still photographer for that. And um, remembering that I had always wanted to do this project. So I sent her a message and said, did she need a still photographer to go? And she said, no, we don't. We've already got one. And I was like, okay, well, <laughs> forget about that then. But then a couple of months later, she reached out and she said that the still photographer that they had had fallen through. And was I still interested in going to Nepal to take oh. the, the still photographs for this project? And I was like, hell yeah, absolutely. And so again, it was like, oh wow, this whole vision board intention setting it's came to out. life. Yeah. It came to life. It's amazing. And I say that to people all the time, see, they do come true. You need to set the intention though, yeah. put it out there. 
Anyway, so I went over to Nepal with uh, Belinda and then there were a few other people, Robin and Steve Raymond and uh, Daniel Bracken. And the intention was to make a documentary about highlighting the good work of a nonprofit over there called Three Angels Nepal. And they help rescue and rehabilitate Nepali girls who've been trafficked. Right. Sex trafficked. Because it's a really big problem over there. And it's interesting, I know for myself that, you know, there's this romantic image of Nepal, beautiful little Nepali people, Tibetan prayer flags, climbing the Himalayas, yeah. beautiful, peaceful country. But there's this seedy underbelly. And no one's looking under under the belly to see this yeah. side. Something like 21,000 Nepali girls are trafficked every year. And they're either kidnapped or they're sold or they're tricked into going over the smuggled over the border into India and sold into either brothels or sold off as say slaves or sex slaves essentially and yeah so I went over and um, with this team who wanted to to share that story and um, bring that story to light and also share the good work that Three Angels Nepal were doing in rescuing these girls and we spent two weeks traveling around rural and remote Nepal and going to towns that were uh, a few of them were on the border between Nepal and India so there's certain checkpoints where smugglers will um, smuggle the girls over the border into India and they're kind of done so unchecked by the government and it's around those towns when I say towns they're quite often small villages where girls are trafficked from so in those areas Really, they're some of the poorest of the poor people, uh, Nepali people, and we visited some very poor villages. So I remember one, for example, that was a village we saw on the side of the road on a riverbed. People were living in humpies made out of like sticks with plastic bags or branches of plastic bags over wow. them. Um, there was no running water. There was no sanitation. There was a bit of a, a, a riverbed, not much running water. When we were driving past this village one day, somebody flagged down a little convoy with the crew and also with the charity three angels nepal and we um got out and the in the head of the village came over and he was talking to the head of the three angels nepal and you know demanding that he support them to get sanitation and better conditions for the village and it was interesting he was wearing a business jacket so they're living in this you know horrendously poor village he was wearing a business jacket a hat gold rings and he was you know proud as punch and I looked around everybody else was dressed very simply and there were old women and there were little girls and there were no teenagers or young female girls so there was a missing yes missing cohort here yes and I said to somebody there that could speak both Nepali and English and I was like where are all the girls mm. and she's like he sold them all off and they he just, was obvious standing out yep. as profiting from he had gold rings on and the business jacket and he had the fancy hat on and I was astounded mm. that these young teenage girls and young women had he had been selling them off to, to traffickers and apparently they can get about $130 US which is a lot of money for a village with yeah with propped up homes yes absolutely and i could see a lot of yelling between the chief and the head of three angels nepal and i said to somebody what's it, what's going on and they said well he's demanding the chief of the village is demanding that three angels nepal lobby the government to get them 
better conditions. And the head of Three Angels Nepal, Rajendra, was saying, there's no way I'm going to lobby for you while you're selling off your girls. Mm. You need to stop selling off your girls. You know, I can see what's going on here. And all the women, old women in the village, all standing around this field, all started clapping. Uh, because imagine they're the mothers yes. of the girls yeah. and they've got the babies yeah. of the girls. That was a really powerful moment. And we travelled to, to many different types of villages, you know, made of mud huts. They were usually very poor, the poorest of the poor villages. The people in those villages are the most vulnerable to traffickers. Uh, parents, again, would still have their girls. But they would be told that they were, they'd get paid some money and that their daughter was going to go and get work in India and maybe she'll marry an Indian man and live a good life. But really, they were being trafficked, thrown into brothels. The brothels over there, some of them have 35,000 girls in them near the Indian army bases. 35,000? 35,000 35, girls. And Rajendra, he actually went over one day, pretended to be a client because he wanted to see for himself um, the state of, you know, like what, what was going on in these brothels where girls, you know, they're drugged, they're tortured, they're raped, mm. you know, on a daily basis. And he said he had to go and see it for himself. And he went over and he said, yes, it's true. That's what's happening to the girls. And he said that while he was there, there was a Nepali man there that recognized he was Nepali. And he was like, you need to get out of here now. They're onto you. You, you need to get out of here before. They recognise he was literally a spy. Yeah. So they've got guards around there with, you know, machine guns. You know, it's an army brothel. He managed to get out and leave and, and get back to so Nepal. So these girls but are literally bred for this purpose. So yeah. So, I mean, they're, and that they're kind of girls that probably are from poor villages, not necessarily educated. Parents aren't educated. Yeah. They're just thinking they're getting 130 US and... Sending their daughters to where... Yeah, or they might be sold off as a as a sex slave to a family, or we mm. we've heard stories about that as well. We actually met a woman; her husband wanted a new wife, so he sold her, and there was nothing she could do about it. Mm. But the beautiful thing is that this charity, Three Angels Nepal, would help rescue and rehabilitate the girls, get the girls, and give them homes, teach them new sellable skills like how to bake, how to sew, so that they could either set up their, their own business or that they could work and that they weren't at risk of being trafficked again or going falling into prostitution. Because many of the rescued girls were shunned by their families or the families would even try to come and find them and go, "We need you need to get, go back over there. We sold you. You can't come back. You can't come back. So there was no, so they were refugees. If you did rescue them, they became refugees and they couldn't come back to their homeland. Yeah. They had nowhere to go. Yeah. So this, this charity, they're amazing. These Three Angels in Nepal, they're amazing. They had numerous homes and shelters and would house the girls and give them counselling, teach them life skills. You know, they were really, really wonderful. And we were fortunate to meet as we travelled around to different uh, rural areas to meet some of the girls or women who had been rescued and to hear their stories, hear their horrendous stories, but then also see how they were progressing in life. Could you give us an example of what they experienced when they were healing or where they were moving towards? Yeah, I will say, and this came from Rajendra, who was the head of Three Angels of Paul, you know, because I asked him, he said, How the girls all seem lovely and friendly. How are they emotionally? And he's like, no, they're really, really traumatised. They're really traumatised and it's going to take a long time for them to yeah. heal. So yeah. even though they're lovely and smiley when we were around, yeah. he said they're really... That may have been their training. Yeah. 
they're really traumatized. Yeah. But the beautiful thing is that I guess we did meet some women who had managed to move on. We met a woman, we went to a village and we, we met a woman there who three angels Nepal helped and they had taught her to sew. And then she'd gone back to her village and she had taught all the women in the village to sew. Okay. So that they all have, um, they all had saleable skills so that they, uh, as all the women in the village had started a business sewing and that meant mm-hmm. that they were getting income. Yeah. for themselves and for the village. And they had come out of their, their, yes. their, their... They had left the brothel, so they weren't staying in the brothel and they weren't repeating that behaviour. Yes. Or content, the abuse had stopped. Yes, absolutely. We met another woman one day. We went to a market, a Nepali market, and Drianders Nepal introduced us to a woman there that they had helped as well. Now, she was a woman who her husband had sold her off, but then somebody had managed to help get her back over the border to Nepal and Drianders Nepal helped her. And they had set her up with a market stall so that she had a market stand. I think she was selling lollies or something. So we made sure we all went and bought lollies from her. But, you know, it was something for her to have her own income. So, again, she wasn't at risk of not being able to support herself and then relying on prostitution. Yeah, so it changed changed that way that she became independent. So how old were you when you went on this particular trip? I think I was 40. 40. So how did it impact your life and your life for you? Yeah, do you know what? It was, even though we were hearing horrific stories of abuse, it was actually a really wonderful trip because I also saw, you know, you hear the odd saying, you see the best and the worst of humanity. Yeah. It filled my heart to see the good that Three Angels Nepal and, and the people that work for them and the good work that they do supporting children and women. And that absolutely filled my cup. And I had never been especially aware of not aware that's not the right right word but I'd never been interested in social justice you know I was always like oh you know you go and you go to university and you get a career and it's all about building a career and it's probably one of the first times that I really stopped to consider making an impact you know on a human being human beings in the world I remember wandering around villages at the end of the day and seeing the sun set and just seeing the beautiful glow and people out working in the fields living a beautiful simple life they seemed happy you know and I'm sure that that's such a generalization because you know that's just I just it's like again the romantic image but I just remember seeing the simplicity of life and children laughing and playing on on the streets or in the on the roads in these different villages and again I remember my heart feeling really full at seeing the good work that this organisation and those people could have. And I guess it changed my worldview. So it made me start to think about what could I do in the world and what did I have to offer? It was interesting coming back to Australia. So we spent two weeks travelling around rural and remote Nepal um, and it really was a beautiful experience. But coming back to Australia, I really felt incredibly guilty that I got to come back to Australia that's and interesting. Yes. We have a welfare system here. People yeah. generally, again, I know it's a generalization, but people generally, like we have welfare systems and different nonprofits to help and support people in crisis. And they don't have that over there, really. I mean, there's three angels in Nepal and there are, would be other charities, but they don't have a social wel- welfare system like we do. Mm. So I felt incredibly guilty that I got to come home to a nice life and a nice family, a nice home, a nice city, a nice country. Mm-hmm. And knowing that there were still girls over there experiencing such hardship Mm. and abuse. And I remember feeling really helpless and having that sense of, 
it was almost like a sense of fate. Like, how could I not go over there and be touched and not do anything? You, you know what I mean? Like how, a survivor's guilt for sorts. Yeah, a bit. But yeah. I and I and I remember thinking, I have to do something. I have so to do it, something good in it the world. Motivating for you to do something. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It was really motivating. It made me. It made me, again, it changed my worldview because yeah. all of a sudden it wasn't about, you know, climbing the corporate ladder in the marketing world or, you know, yeah. or doing photography. It was actually about how do we make the world better? So you used your guilt for good. So it became good <laughs> guilt. <laughs> so it wasn't survivor's guilt. It was good yeah. guilt. And you used that as a motivational and you used your vision board and by opening yeah. up your eyes to what... Uh, could happen if people didn't do something yeah and you used it for doing something good yes which i suppose maybe that will be a segue to end today and hopefully your fourth story next week because we're all looking forward to hearing about got your back sister and i'm hoping that will be your fourth story well thank you for having me and thank you so much for being here that was a fantastic story and i did want to hear about that because i know in the promo i did write about (laughs) the whole story i did i was very selfish in hoping you (laughs) talked about that so thank you for sharing it with us because it is a beautiful story if you could just finish off i would like you to just tell us is it something that you would recommend that we seek to have a look at the other side of life or the underbelly as you described? In addition to that trip, I've also been back to Nepal two more times to volunteer for Habitat for Humanity. Okay. And so both of those times that that's around, um, that whole program is around building a home for a person or a family in need and both times I were in well actually one of them I went back part of that was the earthquake re- rebuild so yeah. a team of us from Newcastle and Sydney went over and to help do some earthquake rebuild in a Nepali village that had been absolutely destroyed 85 houses just crumbled to the ground and then the other time um, my friend Belinda and I went over and we went to a, a remote rural village and we built a home for a widowed woman there who was considered the lowest of the low in the village because she was a widowed woman wow she was not important and so she was just living in 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 dirt and a quagmire of mud and both of those experiences going and volunteering overseas just reaffirms for me how wonderful it is to go and to do that to volunteer overseas and it's interesting that I had been waiting to go over again and do another another volunteer trip in Nepal and they haven't opened up the program in Nepal. They're doing Cambodia and Vietnam at the moment. But Nepal touches my heart because I've had these three beautiful experiences Experiences, and I feel yeah. really connected with their, with that country. And so I would highly recommend anybody to go overseas and do a bit of volunteering. And something like Habitat for Humanity is – it's an easy in. It's an easy – way to go because it's so well structured it's so well organized you have to fundraise a little bit but not a lot and the experience will change you for life volunteering seeing the underbelly yeah if you do feel guilty use your guilt for good (laughs) use your guilt for good (laughs) i like it seeing the world through those eyes and i think that means to see it through gratitude for what we have here yeah and then love your life that way yeah beautiful thank you thank you so much this is only part of our story to hear the rest leap forward to the next podcast and give us five stars wherever you listen 
Love Your Life, Tell Your Story by Kathleen Marriott.